there's going to hit a time. I don't care who it is, what horse it is, whatever. It's not always easy. There's going to hit a time where we hit like a roadblock or it's just hard. Like you're just not picking up on something or you and the horse aren't meshing through part of it. Like there's going to be that point. And when they get frustrated, we're all frustrated. Horse is going to be frustrated. I'm frustrated. They're frustrated. Like, you know, we're all frustrated together. We're in it together. Sometimes you just need to take a deep breath, take a break for a minute, come back to it. You know, we all wanted it yesterday too. Sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. Again, patience is a virtue, but like we're all trying to. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog hello everyone we're back with another episode of on the rail podcast i do believe this episode will be super fun and definitely interesting for a lot of amateurs maybe even you professionals out there within the industry i know we've had quite a few of our listeners interested in this topic of fostering a better barn atmosphere or barn family or just, you know, a happy barn culture. So we have some special guests today. I will let them introduce themselves. So guys, for the people that don't know you, tell us who you are and what you do and sort of, you know, individually how you got started in the industry. And we'll go from there. Well, I'm Wade Spell. My main, how I got into the industry was basically riding two-year-olds and getting them broke to show because I couldn't afford a real horse. So I had to go out and make my own. Uh, started showing probably back when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 with my aunt. My family's been in the horse business, just not the show business. So then I just kind of started showing that way. And I'm Laura Spell, his much better half. <laughs> I've been the prettier one for sure. <laughs> oh, I love you guys for that. I got into the horses showing with my mom back in Minnesota. She was big into like the apps and then she got into the paints because she liked the color horses and we showed open shows and a little paint shows when we could afford it and love the horses then never thought I'd be a trainer we'll get into that later I'm sure that became because of Wade but we specialize in mainly younger horses two-year-olds three-year-olds is what we really like to do we don't do the all-around we do the hunt seat and the western pleasure and we both started from the fun show level and worked our way up that way our families were not into the big horse showing deal so we had to work our way up to showing it to bigger stuff so wait it sounds like you were kind of always on the professional level maybe as a means to an end to get to show and then laura i know you eventually gave up your amateur card so how did i guess the the big question there would be what's was that process like for you wade and then laura i know that has wade had an impact on that for you so tell us about that whole story for both of you okay well i couldn't afford a horse so i just I would ride people horses for five dollars a ride. <laughs> or people. <laughs> or people. <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, you gotta make a mean city end there, yeah, whatever it takes. That was before OnlyFans, right? So yeah. you're like really and I'm not proud. Okay. <laughs> I'll do it. But that's the only way I could get a nice horse was try to buy one or ride someone's horse. And then I knew I was gonna go to college and I played a bunch of sports while I was showing horses. So then when I went to college on a baseball scholarship, I worked for like a John Barry for a while because his, his place was close to my college, but I was never an amateur really until the last year of college. I went 
when I graduated, I went to the Congress by myself with a little three horse trailer. One horse I thought was the deal. Went there all by myself to the quarter horse Congress. I mean, I, at least I picked the littlest show I could find. <laughs> Showed there and told my mom, I think that's what I want to do for a living after I got my teeth kicked in down there. <laughs> this was actually kind of fun. Out this, I want to try this for a while. And my parents were really good about that. I mean, that's the only way I could have did the horses at the level I was trying to get to. There was no other way. What about you, Laura? Well, I grew up, you know, like every little kid, I loved horses because my mom had them and, you know, it was like a family event besides my brother. So me and my mom, my sister showed together and it was great. And we did the ponies and we worked our way up to having horses. We couldn't really afford a full-time trainer. Like if we got in a spot with one, my mom would send him out to get us help or get us lessons when I started arguing with her when she was trying to coach me. <laughs> so, I mean, I do give her a ton of credit for that because we didn't have like older broke horses. We did. We worked with what we could get, you know, and she did the best she could. She was always good at picking out prospects. So she would pick us out the best prospects she knew and could afford and then gave it to us and was like, well, here's your show horse for two years. Good luck. Have fun. <laughs> Train on it. Well, that was actually good, you know, because then you're you're taking one from the ground up. I'm sure we wrecked almost all of them, <laughs> but, you know, it was fun. It was it was a great family deal. And my mom, being a horse person, told me, which is a lot of people got to understand this. She told me right when I first started doing this, she goes, you will wreck over 100 horses learning how to do this. She goes, you got to enjoy it, work hard and try to do it and just have fun at what you're doing. But you are going to go ruin about the hundred horses before you start learning how to kind of do your, your deal. Cause my dad was a horse trainer. He's the one that started all these little colts, got them quiet. Cause they did a trail horse business. Plus the badge work for girl scouts. So he had to have a bunch of quiet horses. He'd ride 20 horses in the spring, getting them ready for that deal. So I learned how to ride and keep them quiet that way. He taught us a lot. That's for sure. Yeah. Your dad was awesome that way. I remember this is off on a tangent. We'll probably get on a lot of random tangents. When I first came down here, I saw Wade's dad. He doesn't ride much anymore, but he was on a colt. One of the customers was a breeding stock had gave him never been started, never been saddled. She had just dropped it off. I had been down here like a year and it was a son of radical rotter. And he (laughs) takes it up to his barn. He's gone maybe a half hour. Next thing I know, I look out in the parking lot and here comes Wade's dad in tennis shoes, on a drape, riding this colt across the parking lot. And he took it right out on trails. He was like, oh, it was quiet. He got right on it, kept it walking, trotting, loping around. He was out. It was gone. A week later, he was given a lesson on it. I think. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. He just had a way with those things. It was a he different was thought process, that's for sure, from what we're all used to now. Yeah. Yeah, it was different. <laughs> but then I never thought, kind of going off on that, I never thought I was going to be a horse trainer. I was in college. My mom had given me and my sister, our living quarters trailer and said, uh, go show this summer, go have fun. So we went down to Pinna world and then we were going to go on to paint world. And that's when I met Wade for the first time. And long story short, <laughs> I she was chasing his ass all over the place. Cause I was, I mean, I was bulky then sister. I look like Brad Pitt of the horses. <laughs> and then when I met Wade, I did not, I mean, every little girl's dream, I feel like when you're in the horses is to be a horse trainer or to be talented enough or have the ability enough that you can feel like you're training something to that kind of level. God, I always wished I could, but you know, back then I didn't think I'd be this person now, you know, I just thought I'd come down here and hang out with Wade, have a good time because he was super hot (laughs) (laughs) and uh, thought I'd have a good time and then go back home and use my degree and do that kind of stuff. But you know, one thing leads to another. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't let her go. (laughs) You know, it's flattering that she calls me hot, but 
I don't know if you, you remember Laura back in those days. She was a model. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> she looked, she was the real deal. So we made sure I made sure she didn't get out of my grasp. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, neither one of you are really suffering in the good looks department. I don't feel like so. <laughs> if you want to give up, you know, horse training, you can probably be some kind of professional cover models for some type of unestablished <laughs> horse magazine. Yeah. Rods, times. Yeah. Have you guys seen some of the ads? They use me as a prop. I'll be looking the other way, and it's a picture of Laura, and all I am is a hat and a shoulder in the picture. Damn it. <laughs> That's hey. just- Qualities. <laughs> That's what they like. Get that sultry look in her eyes, though. It works. <laughs> so it sounds like every fairy tale that you would hope for in the horse industry is two partners being able to, you know, go into business together and have a successful career together. So from the outside, that looks fabulous and wonderful. And I'm sure it is. But maybe we can go over some of the struggles you guys face being married as business partners. And is there anything that you guys have like implemented to not want to murder each other sometimes? Or is that ever a thought that crosses your mind? How does that work? I'll be honest with you. My parents worked in the horse business together all the time. So I kind of learned from them. Never once seen them argue or fight. So when I was, when we got together, she's being very, She's not being conceited at all. This this girl came in here and we just rode together because she was my best friend. So I never did want to do anything to make her mad or hurt her feelings. Or when I was tired of a horse or she was tired, you just know not to say anything. And people always go, how do you guys always get, you guys are always happy? Well, when you're really, really happy with the person you're with, it's going to take a lot for us to fight. And we haven't, I mean, we don't fight. We implement, like if I start to, something starts to happen, I just, get out of it. It's not that important to me to fight with uh, your friend over a horse. You know, they, they make another one every day. And I mean, I was her biggest fan, you know, she's trying to be, a, you know, Oh, I didn't know much. She came in, she was talented. She outworked everybody that I've ever seen. She works her ass off doing it. So then I start backing her and just kind of watching her. She didn't want to do the hunters at first at all. Like she had no want to, to do the hunters. Really? I didn't know that. Nope. She didn't want to ride them. She goes, Oh, I don't like them. Those thoroughbred things and they're running off. I'd like to have more control and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, those are junk hunters. Let's go to the real ones. Cause I had a couple <laughs> hunters before her that were really nice. And I, she got on them. And I mean, we just followed her. I mean, I just followed Laura. Like I did okay before her. Then after her, when we got together, I mean, we did really, really well. Well, he tricked me into it because <laughs> I was still an amateur. Sounds like our <laughs> sex life too. <laughs> I was still an amateur and he was like, well, this one's a little too, it was one my mom raised actually. It was the all about the goods horse. And I'd shown a little bit of hunt seat, but not a ton. And he was like, well, this one's going to be a really, really nice hunter. Let's just focus on the hunter on this one. And I was like, oh, I really like the pleasure. It didn't jog real good. And he goes, no, just show it in the hunt seat. Well, it was like, like the. 16 one 16 two hand faux hunter that looked like a pleasure horse i was like well, i could handle this like i could do this but it was the, all about the goods horse i'm like well that one i mean he was just special because my mom raised it and he wanted to be a good citizen the whole time i was like oh you tricked me now i'm showing hunt seat and i didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah so then i start getting those in between hunters for for a while buying those and then kind of just kind of inching the height a little higher each one we'd get yeah <laughs> If one got a little ruthless, we'd, we'd go back down a little, little bit low, back 
Yeah. shorter. Well, and keep building it back up. And I will say Wade was good. He knew, you know, to keep our relationship going, we help each other and we talk through things. Like if you, if he's writing one and I see something, or if I'm writing one, we throw ideas out and you don't give each other a lesson because you're basically working to the same goal. Anyway, you don't go ingrain something into someone's head. You're working together. So if he gets in a fight with one, I'll take it over vice versa. But when I started doing the hunt seat, he kind of knew I needed a little more help. I wanted more help. I wanted to get better at it. So we had sent one up to Dawn and Brian Baker actually, and then went up to ride with Dawn and that she gave me some great advice. And that was years ago when I was a non-pro and that kind of put me over the edge to where I was like, Oh, I I actually really like this too. I I think I want to try this more. And she was great. So he knew I'm not going to fight with the person I'm getting ready to marry. I actually want to get some help. That's an outside source. I think that's a, a main thing too. And I'll be honest, when I was by myself doing this before Laura came in, I became friends with a lot of the people in the business and they were so good to you. Like the hunter ladies, you know, Trish Amber, Dawn, all of them. When I was asking questions and even in the pleasure, same thing. When you're nice to those guys and you're around them all the time, you joke with them and you have fun, they will try to help you. So when I called Dawn up, it was not even a hesitation. We'd call Katie Joe up, not a hesitation. All these people that were big in the industry that you thought you could never even compete with. We started doing pretty well and they are coming over and telling us how good we're doing, help us ride them, get on them. I mean, we were, we're very, very, very open to people helping us. Like we know we have to get better. We don't think we're good yet, but we're going to try and just keep doing it. Cause that's the fun part of it. Working towards the same goal together and having those people help you. You would not believe how many people will help you if you just ask. You know, a lot of people think you can't approach these people. Well, I can approach any of them. Let's walk up and talk <laughs> to them. And that's, yeah. The easiest thing. People want to help you and tell you what they're doing. They're riding by themselves 90% of the time at the horse show. They want to talk to somebody and say, hey, how'd you get that horse to go like that? They'll tell you. You just got to ask the right questions. That's it. Yeah, it's cool. It's perspective to have. So Laura, how long were you riding with Wade as a non-pro before you either, I can't remember, you guys got married and then you gave up your amateur card or what was the timeline there? Uh, so we've been together this is going on 17 years. We've been married for 10. So we got married April 13th of 2013. And then I, so January 1st of that year, I just gave up my card. I so, knew we didn't, so we didn't get married for a while. Cause she, she said she wasn't ready to be a pro. No, he just didn't want to get married. He lies. <laughs> no, I would have married her the next day after I met her. Lies. But, <laughs> but we didn't want to be a married, you know, a married couple with uh, the wife over there or in being a non-pro because you know how that makes your other customers feel and all that kind of stuff. So when she was ready, then we said, yeah, we might as well get married and go ahead. No, I gave him an ultimatum. I said now or never. Yeah. Oh, what she, <laughs> here's what happened. Put your foot down. <laughs> yeah. She told me she was pregnant and I'm still waiting on that baby. <laughs> it ain't here yet. <laughs> oh, shoot. So was the kind of agreement when you guys decided to be professionals together, Wade, you were going to take more of the Western horses and Laura, you were going to do more of the hunt seat horses or was that part of the discussion or that's just kind of how it's evolved? When she first came out, I'm telling you, she really would rather do the pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I liked the hunters too, a bunch. Like if, if I was more secure enough with my manhood, I'd be in job first. I was like, why don't we see you in breaches then? Because my wife won't let me. Have you seen him (laughs) It is, you know, his posting is tragic. I love him, but it is. I just can't get away with it. She just won't let me do it anyway. Because I'm taking easy ones. Just so you know, I will be posting around on that 15 three hand hunter right now. 
<laughs> no, it was just kind of like, we're both really into the hunters. I really like them a bunch. I like the way they move, the way everything, everything about them and the pleasure. Well, we've always done that. And I think the pleasure helps our hunters a lot because we can control them a little better and we get used to how to put them in the right frames and all that. So when she became a pro, it was pretty easy because I was not going to show the hunters. So anything she wanted, she got the show. For a while there, when we first started, if you notice, we, we hired a lot of really good catch riders. They'd take the good ones and they'd help her and watch them until we start figuring out how to do it correctly. And then that's when we start kind of letting her go ahead. That's what I was going to ask who rode your hunters before Laura came around. I used to hire like Brian Isabel and Trish and all them before they showed up. Anybody that could laugh, which Brian, you know, he's a lot happier now than he was then. But like Trish and them. They're, you know, they all joke around, take it easy. They sh- basically taught me it's not a big deal. Go out and do it. You know, you're professionals, have fun with it. You know, nobody's really going to remember what happened last week anyway. Keep preparing for the next week and just joking around with these people. It paid off. So, what is some of the benefits of running your training business together then? Other than I know you guys enjoy, you know, actually enjoy your time together, but what are some of the other benefits? Well, financially, we both know exactly what's going on all the time together you know some people are married they don't really understand what's going on we both understand the the trials and tribulations of keeping this kind of business going what goes into it what can happen but we're both right smack dab in the middle so when we driving home from a show we can talk about it and it gives us something else to get closer about it doesn't matter like it's it's a team effort doing this for sure well and i will say I don't know how people do it just solely by themselves. I know that they probably have say stall cleaners or barn help, but just the writing part, I don't know how they do it by themselves. Cause you know, when you get frustrated on one, it's somebody else you can lean on or in the morning when you're really tired after a horse show and it's that Monday morning and you know, you have to go back to the barn and ride those Colts or something that you miss. That's going to the next horse show. It's hard to get up some days and it's somebody else to get up and you're motivated with, you know, somebody else right there that is excited to go do it and keeps you on the up and up and happy about it and everything. I'm telling you, Wade wakes up every day happy. So now I started to like mornings. I was not a morning person, but shoot, <laughs> you wake up next to him and he is laughing about something. You can't help but be excited to go work, you know. And that's how you keep the people around you happy, too. You've got to be no one cares if you had a bad day. They don't care if you're in a bad mood or not. They're worried about what's happening around them at that point in time. So when we walk in here, I always tell you, I talk to the people at work, our stall cleaner. He's a, he barely speaks English, but damn it. He's laughing with us. You know, he figures out what we're saying or doing and makes those guys want to come to work, makes the work environment way, way, way better. I mean, that's the easiest thing. We learned that over the years. You keep everybody around you happy. They all work better and makes everything easy on everybody involved. You get way more successful that way. Because no matter what business you're in, uh, yeah, nobody cares, you know, what's bothering you in your head, really. They all just want to, you know, they want to enjoy their life, too, or whatever. So at the end of the day, if something's bothering me, you know, you still have Wade. You can go and watch a movie or zone out or talk to him about it. You know, you have your spouse that they gets it. They're there with you. You know, they're not at an office job. They're as tired as you are. They want to sit down and, you know, they're right there with you the whole time. So they want to enjoy pretty much the same thing you want to enjoy you're both doing it at the same time and you're just, you know, you're tired or happy or sad or excited. It's just, it all works out. Cause you're just one in the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I will say two things just from interacting with you guys at horse shows over the years is, you know, the first thing is like, you're both always in such a good mood and you always have a smile on your face and it's always just like 
array of positive energy and fun and laughs and sarcasm and all of that, which is super refreshing and nice for a lot of us to kind of run into. And then secondly, as somebody that, you know, I ride sometimes in the middle of the night and you are, two of you are some of the handful that I see all the time. So I know you're out there grinding and have to be tired and have to be exhausted at the shows. And yet you still have such a good positive mood. So how do you guys keep such a positive and fun outlook on it with, but also putting in, in my opinion, more time and more hours than even just the average horse trainer does? Because we really love what we do. I mean, luckily her and I have the same taste in horses and the same eye when we buy one. I truly love to wake up every morning and go do that or go ride in the middle of the night on a nice, I mean, I'm not going to be out there riding on a, a horse. I don't really think that's nice and having fun doing that, but we've been very, very blessed and having super nice horses and a bunch of customers trusting us. Well, it's hard not to get up and be happy when you get to go sit on a nice animal or try your hardest. And they're the people that we're riding with late at night. You've seen it. They're doing the same thing we're doing. We're all joking around and our start. We've taught them how to start joking around because a lot of them are quiet and tired. And yeah. They're smiling, <laughs> no laugh. And, you, you know, you start, that's how you start building bonds with all these people, you know? Well, and like, I will say of the two of us, I stress or I used to, which I still do, but I was way worse. I would stress out about the little things like this horse isn't doing this and I got to show it tomorrow and this and that. And by the time you're done, Wade has kind of taught me that if you keep stressing about the little things, you're going to develop a problem. Like you're going to create a problem. Just go with the flow, make it happen. You show what you have, you know, you try to prepare for perfection, but sometimes with the horse, we've all been there. It just doesn't always happen that way. So you go make the best of what you have and you smile and you work through it and all that. If you just keep freaking out or stressing over that one thing that isn't quite going exactly right, then you're going to, you're going to have relationship problems, horse problems, customer problems. You know, you just, you know what you have to work on when you go home from that horse show. So you just try to make it better every time, every step of the way. But I used to just dwell on this one little problem that was like happening and I'd create a mound of an issue, you know? So he's taught me quit making such a big deal out of everything in life, in relationships and horses, just in general. That has to be the old non-pro in you. I feel like yeah. that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what we yeah. like to do. Yes. I was oh, going yeah. the other way. I was thinking maybe it's just a woman problem. Yeah. All that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I get a little more emotional. So I've been uh, yeah. better. He has been good for that aspect of me. There was one time I'm going to get off on a tangent at a world show. And uh, do you guys remember that LX horse? LX mm-hmm. just really fancy. He's been in the barn for mm-hmm. ages. He was a horrible horse to braid. <laughs> he showed he, he was one of my favorites. He's still in the barn. He was a horrible horse to braid though. He was just a prick on the ground. He was a citizen in the pen, but we'd hired a braider. They braided it. I come back because I was so tired. He goes, just pay this person. She's really good. The braider did a great job. Well, then the bastard rubbed his mane. So I think it was showing the junior hunter at the paint world. And it was the first class in the morning. So it was like 8 a.m. I had walked in at maybe 2.30 or 3 or something. I only slept a couple hours and he just rubbed his braids and they were just terrible. And I had come in and Wade had come in just to watch me ride him because he was being awesome, a good husband. And he was being super supportive. And here I am in our haste all like bawling. <laughs> and he's like, it's really, he's like, it's really not a big deal. I was like, no, I'm having, like, I was having like a breakdown. I was like, oh, I got to yeah. braid this horse. I have to go ride it. I don't feel ready. And by the end of it, he had me laughing and he stood there with me while I rode the horse. Then he stood there with me while I braid, like I fixed as many braids as I could. And I believe that was the year 
it went out and won the junior hunter and I had never been so exhausted. And it ended up like he talked me off the ledge of just losing my shit. <laughs> like that's why we're together. Cause he could have freaked out and just wondered what I was doing. I'm over there like a kid bawling in the hay stall. <laughs> yeah. And that horse just for your information shows like a champ, but it's a prick everywhere. All right. <laughs> just so we all know you go in there. Ill I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, he's just a pain oh, in the ass. I love him. He's one of my favorites. He yeah, he's like a soldier in the pen, though. <laughs> oh, and, and now he's, you bring it out here and you put somebody on it for like a little lesson horse or a little bitty kid, he'll take care of him. Now, if I walk in there, a man walks in there, oh man, he is ready to assassinate him. <laughs> he loves women, though, so that's yeah. why I love him. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like I will say, he Wade has talked me off the ledge many a times. And I think that's also why it works, because he knows that he's like my saving grace in some aspects in that point, you know, well, I, I, I lose my mind a lot. <laughs> and, and I started doing this training thing on my own before her. And I was kind of that way. And then I learned, boy, it ain't going to make a bit of difference as you get going. And, you know, we're, we can't work any harder for those people as you guys seen, and we're trying our best. So, I mean, just relax and enjoy the ride. Cause if you're constantly worrying about little stuff, it doesn't make it that much fun for anybody at all. And then when she started relaxing and going out there and just showing her horse, I mean, believe me, she had her horse ready. <laughs> We're talking about little stuff like, oh, it's not moving it. It's eyeball the correct way when I lope off, you know, little things that you can't fix. Then she started really getting really, really good and successful and showing way better, letting little things not bother her when she was showing. She used to pick a lot. Now she's like, eh, that's okay. We'll be fine. And now that looks My way better. biggest problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Lord, do you ever have to talk Wade off the ledge anymore? Or is he just pretty much even keel all the time? No, not really. No. That's awesome. What drives me crazy. <laughs> I say this with love, Wade. <laughs> when he's one, like he's serious and he does show really well and he works his ass off to show. But sometimes like he'll be in the pen, you know, you trot in at say paint world or anywhere and then they stop you on the rail. Then he'll be like holding a conversation with somebody. I'm funny. Yes. <laughs> Focus. Hey, that's my nerves. Okay. Yeah. I, people. <laughs> I think there's been a couple of times that people have seen me like fake yell at him on the rail. I'm like, I'm not really yelling. Like if I was yelling, we wouldn't be together, but, <laughs> but it, that no, he, I don't really have to talk him off the ledge. No, I, I think he pretty much, he's pretty even keel. He knows what he has before he ever goes in the pen or what he's riding and all, you know, that's what kind of makes this work. He just, he kind of knows what's going on most of the time. He's pretty honest with everybody on this one's going to work. This one's not, this one's ready. This one's not. And Wade can trick one around way better than I can. I always say trick one around, like he can make a pleasure horse look broker than it is. And then I get on it. I'm like, how in the heck, how did you put it on a drape for that class? You know? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're pretty good with the hunt seaters though. You can <laughs> float them around the pen pretty yeah, well. She's being pretty modest. Let's put it. Yeah. That way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So part of being honest with your customers is something we want to get into here just a little bit, but I know you both have had some really great horses in your career. So which one or ones stand out to each of you as some of the more special ones? Well, the first one I ever had, that was a great horse. I rode some nice horses. I won the world before and they were nice horses, but my first great horse. And the reason I consider her great is because she taught me out a ton about what a great horse is taught me how to ride a great horse. And that was that she's eye candy mare. You remember her? Okay. So she was a little goofy minded, but all of a sudden when she got broke and turned the corner, you couldn't do anything wrong. She, I mean, she made up for a lot of my, you know, bad training techniques at that time. She really just kind of pushed me through and let me win a bunch of stuff, carried me around there. 
and really kind of made me relevant there for a while. And then after she was gone, then I wasn't relevant again. There you go. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> and then the other one I really, really liked a bunch was that uh, in the sweet shop horse, oh, you know, the oh, Bay yeah. Toke ended up with Sarah. That thing was a saint. He like was he was just truly, truly, truly a saint. 16, two or three trot on top of a table and it didn't matter what you did. He just stayed and he was a, he was just a, a true citizen. Those are my two favorite ones. I mean, and they, and they taught you how to ride a good one because they were great, great, great horses. They taught us way more than we ever taught them. That's for sure. Yeah. The LX horse. I was probably, I had one hunter before, before that, or the same time, oh, maybe good. the the black mare, but he was the one I really showed for the first time in like the open hunt seat stuff. He was really fun. He really like, cause I made a mistake on him and he went and showed and he made you earn it. Like the first three or four months we had him, I couldn't ride him in spurs. And like, I had to figure a way to make myself get along with him. And now I just, I love the horse and it's still here. So he will hopefully retire with us. Can we give you the backstory on him real quick? <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. Okay. okay. So Laura and I and her sister, you know, this is back when we first well, I guess we were just got married or right before we got married. I can't remember when we bought it exactly, but it was right there during that time. We all three went in together. Tracy, Laura, and I went together on this horse, bought it. We went and rode it at the show. It was really nice. Everything. We brought it home. Laura jumps on it, ride it around, takes off loping. Thing slap, slams on the brakes, blacks her eye. Flips it straight up, and I mean, bloodies her nose and blacks her eye. She goes, this damn thing, son of a bitch, turns it around, takes off loping the other direction. Thing slams on the brakes, blacks her other eye. It was I was so like, bad. oh my God. I said, what did we buy? We bought Satan and it's our money. What are we going to do here? <laughs> and I seen the horns coming out on it. And I'm telling you, most people at that point, because this thing slammed on the brakes violently and was coming at you. She did not slow down one bit. She went after it, spanked it forward and get, went to riding it and riding it and riding it. And then we went to show it at the world show. In that short amount of time, about 90 days, she rode that thing three, four times a day. And then it was nails for her. I don't know if you remember that, don't you, back then? Mm -hmm. It didn't move a hair. I so remember, that, I think, was it Tracy that showed it in the, like, non-pro threes? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She it in the, yeah, that in the amateur. And, and uh, even Tracy won with it. We didn't tell Tracy we couldn't get it in into the show pen. Like, it wouldn't go in. I couldn't get it to trot in the pen. It would stall up at the gate. And so. run backwards. So we the night before, like, when you'd see us late at night, Lord have to get on it. I get behind it with a lunge whip and we'd cluck it forward, spank it in the hocks and it would jump into the show pen. So we didn't tell. I think Tracy I actually might remember this yeah. now that you're saying this. Yeah. So now Tracy's <laughs> trotting it and she has no clue that she wouldn't ride it. Cause you know, she'd be like, Oh my God, I ain't going to embarrass myself. So she went in we started clucking and it leaped into the show pen and was perfect from that up way on out. And then she was, she never let us live that one down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to scare you before you showed it. But that's probably why that's one of our favorite ones, because that thing took a lot of time. And then all of a sudden, when it became a citizen of the show, it's never changed. It's yeah. always been that good from there on out. Don't matter who you put on it. It's got an amateur buckle. It's won something in the threes, the junior, the senior hunter. One like with two different novices that won the novice hunter. It's one. sold it to a couple. It's like, has it, is there any division that hasn't won? No? It's been reserved in a senior, and that's it. No, it's never been shown by a youth kid, youth, though. Of course, but uh, that's the one thing. <laughs> but no, he's still here. Like we still ride him. We just had him at a quarter show, actually, because he's a double. I just that one has my heart because it taught me like you just couldn't give up, and he had to work through it all. And there was a light at the end of the tunnel, basically, with that, you know. And every horse is different. It's not like 
anything was wrong with one. He just, he made it difficult for you. So you had to work through it. Once you earned his trust and you earned it, then you were in, but that one was special. So did you kind of go from like the all about the goods horse to the LX just call me fancy or was there more in between there and that were they polar opposites as horses then? Oh God. Yeah. yeah. That all about the goods was the <laughs> sweetest animal to walk the oh. planet. If you looked at him the wrong way, he'd cry. Yeah. Aww. He was the sweetest thing. And that's he was so cool too. <laughs> that's why we sold him to that Taylor Coke Miller. Cause at that time she was. Well, she wasn't strong rider. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> she was a she was a novice youth when she bought him, and she'd never really shown the hunt seat. And I talked her into buying that one because she liked the pleasure. I'm like, no, do the novice youth hunt seat. You're already you're not novice in the pleasure. Let's get a hunt seater. Let's get a hunt seater. I remember Taylor showing that one the first time, and she we we're in Iowa, won the novice youth across the board, and then she comes out and looked like she was gonna like poop her pants. She looked scared. Was <laughs> I was like, puke. I was like, well, you'll get better. It'll be all right. <laughs> well, we had a horse in between that. Her first open horse was a all-time fancy mare. That was real, real, real pretty. I wouldn't say she was like super, super talented, but she just framed up and knew it was gorgeous, gorgeous, pretty. So, and Laura ended up winning the, that was her first no, open horse, right? Reserve and the green hunter. On yeah. It. But I, you end up winning yeah. the year end and the green yeah. and the junior on it. And then I think she was reserve on it. That was like her first horse that really, because it was really safe to show, wasn't it? It was really fun. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was fun. That one kind of got me showing the hunt seat more and I really liked it. It was like 16.3 and like a black bay, all-time fancy. Real scopey head and neck on it. Kind of reminded me of that one used to show that all-time fancy mare used to show that real scopey kind of pretty head and neck on it. So when did you guys kind of start dabbling into more of the quarter horse side of things, those hunters? Her and I decided, you know what? We do the paints all the time. Let's go to the NSBA take a customer or two. And when we went out there, we took that LX horse. That's another reason. Cause he went out there and he, he won, a, won her a buckle where she cried the whole way out carrying her buckle. Didn't realize she got a buckle for winning, <laughs> which was pretty cute. And then we're like, you know what, Laura, I said, and this is my fault because I said, you know what, you can compete with them. I just got to get you horses that can compete with those, that quality of an animal. I said, we have to really just step up our game. You're plenty tough enough. So it took me coaxing her for a while to say you're Cause she's very modest. She doesn't think she's good enough. So I talked her into it and we started chasing down hunter mares and our customers were so good. Cause they were like, well, we'll buy some for her. go find us one and we'll pay for this one. Like our good, you know, our girl in the wheelchair, Brooke Ketchum, she came up and she would, I mean, was straight classy. She goes, I'll buy the next one for her to go show you find the one we'll agree on it. And then we'll let it show. And then she showed a bright yellow and white hunter. You remember that gift of Midas was very, very, very fancy one, all that. That was and it was yellow and white. How often does that happen? You know? And then we went to the quarter show with that one and everybody was, I mean, complimenting it, this and that. And then her confidence level just started jumping up. So then we were like, well, she had that really good two-year-old. It's all in the timing. Is that its name? And we went to the Congress and she was reserve and we're like, you know, we can compete. And that horse is a very nice horse, but he's not like a freak. I said, you just showed with them and you did really well and everything was great. You got a first or two under a couple judges and yada, yada, yada. I said, let's start messing with a couple quarters. So now we've probably bought like this year, we have like, I think four or five quarter twos and like three or four paint two-year-old hunters. And we're going to kind of dabble more. Like last year, Allie sent us a horse. I'll be under the hood. And mm-hmm. boy, she, you know, that was a, very, a great year. very, very, very nice horse. And it took some showing to get that one around and she did her job. And I mean, she really competed and that, I mean, that really shoots you up there. 
Well, and I think right now where the industry is going in general, which is not bashing anything, but being that the paints don't have as many futurities or as, as much money, like in the younger horses, I think it's something we all have to think about doing or start gearing our breeding towards doubles or something, because we have to do something to have more reason to breed and show like paint two-year-olds and three-year-olds and stuff like that. Cause really there's not, you know, your futurities aren't as big as they used to be. And I will say the quarters have jumped up and with NSBA and there's a lot more money classes and young stuff and prospect up oh. maiden stuff. I don't, that's a whole nother conversation, but I don't know. We got to do something to get, you know, keep the paints breeding and some sort of yeah. maturity program. And the somewhere. quarters, quarter people, they're looking for a broke coming three-year-old. There's nobody in the paints looking for that. You know, they want them broke all the way broke doing something. They got to be swapping leads. They got to be doing this and that. In the quarters, those guys are still writing big checks for threes or a good two-year-old coming to his three-year-old year. So just as a working. real horse. Yeah, because they can see that they can see the, well, the opportunity and we can sell them a little cheaper than most of them because that's what we like to do. We'll buy them and get them going like that and then sell them. But there's a market running there. And the paints, our two and three-year-old stuff has just really, really died down way more than it well, used to and be. Being that Wade and I don't really do the all around, it makes it hard that way. You know, we love to do the prospects, but we need some sort of outlet in the paints still somehow to build some sort of maturity type of deal back up. So there's a reason to breed just a paint, not a double, you know, because think about all time fancy. That's just a paint stud. That was never going to be a double stud. And that's a legacy in the hunter industry, really, if you ask me, like we need more reason to breed just paints. But that's a whole nother day, probably. <laughs> yeah, but it's a valid argument. We do need more young and main fraternity opportunities for color horses or paints or whatever yeah, for, for real money. So it makes it where right. people look for them, you know? Well, so yeah. people like younger people coming up in the industry, like want to just ride pleasure horses and hunt seed horses again, that kind of stuff, you know? And I think in the paints, we separated like our upper end was getting really, really good that the young guys couldn't come up and, and work their way in. Cause you had some guys up in the paints, like, you know, Sarah and them guys, they were, really good so it's hard to get to them and so the younger guys went to do the pintos and things of that nature we need sorry to get, i'm getting texts <laughs> we need to make sure we get a program for these uh, limited riders that, so they can kind of get their way in and get their customers happy yeah interesting perspectives and totally valid so some come more conversations that we need to have for sure agreed <laughs> sorry again we get off on tangents <laughs> that's what we do no it's we love it that's what this yes. is about. It's just having conversations. So yes. What do you guys like to do outside of horses? Do we have a life outside of horses? I, yeah, I know. Horse trainers <laughs> don't have. You no, know, actually. Much, we, but... And I told Laura, my mom was real big on this. You guys have to do stuff that's not involved with horses or you'll burn out. That's just the way it is. So we, we have friends outside the horses that we hang out with, but we live literally 15 minutes from the baseball stadium for the Cardinals. We live 15 minutes from downtown St. Louis where we go see plays and things of that nature. Like we, we go do a lot of other things and mess with horses. We'll go to wineries a lot, which I know you guys find that hard to believe with us. We'll uh, yeah. and... <laughs> I expect an invite one of these days though. <laughs> you know, the door's always open here, baby. Come on. <laughs> All day event though. <laughs> yeah. I love me some wine. Especially wine during the day. That's the safest way to go about it instead of wine late at night. So. <laughs> There's nothing better than a wine drunk until the next morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. 
Yeah, no, I like to go do other, like just other stuff, go on trips, a couple of day trips, you know, because the minute you're gone for any extended amount Freak of time, out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what's happening here. So if I'm gone like three nights, that's about perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then come back, yeah. do that stuff. Totally relate to that. And you guys, I see you snow ski from time to time. Is that a yearly trip you try to go on or just as it comes? You know, we used to do it quite a bit. I loved skiing. I grew up skiing in Minnesota, snowmobiling and skiing. I mean, there's nothing else to really do in the winter. And she is Susie Chapstick oh, on a set of skis. So, this chick will make you look bad. No, it's like she's really good at it. Not even. That's why we quit. Cause I was, you know, barely getting down the hill, falling down, <laughs> ski flying everywhere. And here goes Susie Chapstick just flying around. <laughs> her. Now, since, you know, wait, back, he's got had some back issues. So since all that, we have quit skiing. I would love to go still, but I mean, it's just, I'm now I'm probably more afraid that I would break something, but yeah, since Wade's back's been kind of blown apart, it's a little hard on you. So, so she's blaming me for taking away something she loves. Oh. Just so you guys know, <laughs> you might hear our first fight <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast. It'll be clickbaity title for us. Yeah. <laughs> first ever fight on air. Listen so what's now. still on your bucket list then with the horses? We'll stay with that. Oh gosh. Well, I would, I would really like to see Laura win the Congress. Well, it's not all about me. Because it's it's a, <laughs> to me, it's a, I like in, in an open class, a big, fancy, get the trophy, kind of see it. Because when growing up, that was the show of all shows. Like we all it's, strive to be there. It still is like the, it's the deal. <laughs> when I was growing up, we never even went to the quarter Congress. I didn't go to even watch until I met Wade. And when we were first together, we would drive out there every year and go watch the big classes and do the shopping and all that kind of stuff. And it's still nerve wracking. Shoot. When you trot in there now, it is, it still gets your blood pumping. I mean, that it's just a different, it's one of those deals that, you know, it always eludes you a little bit and I haven't had, you know, just, it just happens, you know? So one day, maybe, I don't know, hopefully I'd cry like a baby if it ever did happen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think our podcast is good luck. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. We helped. We helped Meg Pye win the showmanship yeah. at the quarter world after she talked to us. So exactly. it's destiny now to go yeah. to Congress. <laughs> well, the first, this is random and funny that you say that the first couple of years. So the first year I hadn't won a paint world title yet. And it's so funny because Wade had gotten plastered off a two-year-old once in the parking lot that year. He won the world like in the fall. And then the next year, I think he got bucked us something else and won like the threes. And then the year that I got my first buckle at Paint World, I mean, I got dumped off of something young in the outdoor. And then I go and win a buckle. I go, so is that the deal? I have to get bucked off to win, <laughs> to win a prize. Is what happens? <laughs> You'll be the first person to get bucked off and like stand up at the practice pen and be like, yes, <laughs> we're ready to go now. Nothing's broken. I get to win a prize. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm hoping maybe this year because I got bucked off something this spring. So I'm praying. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good year, damn it. <laughs> so before we kind of get into the barn culture discussion, but what's something you wish just either owners or non-pros understand better? We like to ask all the trainers that question. That we want to win as much as they want their horses to win too. We're trying our best no matter what. Just because a two-year-old doesn't make it doesn't mean it's not being tried on. You know, just patience is a virtue in this deal. If you could teach them, if it's not working, get rid of it and find something that does work. If it's going to work, just have some patience because we're really trying. You know, it only helps us, benefits us if you got the horse does well or if you're successful. We're not going to just throw you out there to be throwing you out there. 
Well, and I think, you know, more of from the lesson standpoint with customers, there's going to hit a time. I don't care who it is, what horse it is, whatever. It's not always easy. There's going to hit a time where we hit like a roadblock or it's just hard. Like you're just not picking up on something or you and the horse aren't meshing through part of it. Like there's going to be that point. And when they get frustrated, we're all frustrated. Horse is going to be frustrated. I'm frustrated. They're frustrated. Like, you know, we're all frustrated together. We're in it together. Sometimes you just need to take a deep breath, take a break for a minute, come back to it. You know, we all wanted it yesterday too. Sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. Again, patience is a virtue, but like, we're all trying to, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. That's why it's fun. So then when you do hit that point where you made a breakthrough horse rider, all of it together, then it, it just feels so much better. You know, if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. Yeah, It's not, that's what makes it fun. You got to outwork the next guy, be a little smarter and hopefully luck's on your side. You know, that's just the whole deal. Well, and I want to tell people in general, like young people coming in or new customers that have not really had a, a young horse, old horse, doesn't matter. At some point as a trainer, you're probably going to get run off with. Your horse is going to spook. It might trip and fall down. Maybe you get bucked off at the show or show pen. I mean, things happen. You just got to kind of laugh it off because like Wade said earlier, a lot of people don't remember what happened last week. It's how you go forward and what you learn from that experience and how you go proceed. That really makes the difference, you know? And these customers got to realize you only show for five to eight minutes at a time. You have to enjoy the process. The other 23 hours you're there. That's the whole thing. If you're not enjoying the process of watching one get broke or you're watching or having fun riding it in the warm-up pens and talking to people or conversing. It might not be the sport for you then. If you're only worried about the win and that's the only thing that makes you happy, you're going to be upset a lot, way more than being happy. That's for sure. Yeah, because there's way more to it. There's a lot. Everybody's working as hard as you are. Everybody's trying to buy that next great horse. Everybody's doing exactly what you're doing. But if you're enjoying the process, it seems like you're more successful in the long run because you're not putting so much pressure on yourself. You're just enjoying the whole deal. Wade, you kind of touched on it earlier, but how do you handle being honest with your customers about horses and their potential or progress? I learned a while ago when you talk to them, it may sting right at first. Like if you tell them the horse is not good enough or you're not riding good enough, you need to do this or whatever. It may sting at first, but in the long run, they appreciate the honesty. You know, so you're, what are you out? It's going to happen anyway. Might as well be honest up front. You know, your horse ain't going to win. I mean, you can't keep telling them it's going to win. It's going to win. And when they show, they're let down and it doesn't win. Or I can't get along with this horse. It doesn't work in my program. Or Yeah. I mean, just know. be honest or say, you know, this one's not strong enough yet. Let's hold it off to a three-year-old or a four-year-old and have some patience. That may sting at first, but once it starts happening, they'll, they're like, okay, they are looking out for the best interest of what I've got going on, my investment or my fun or whatever we're doing. Learning to have that hard conversation is probably one of the hardest not, I mean, not the hardest, but it's just a hard thing. And you have to have a talent life. to do it. Yeah. As like, I was going to ask if you have a changed your approach with that conversation oh, over yeah. time. Yeah. Once you've, cause you got to remember as a young trainer, you're very insecure about your surroundings and how you're doing things. You don't know what to say or how to say it. as you get older and you, you learn how things are going the straightforward, but without being ignorant, I've watched a lot of trainers kind of yell at their customers or argue with them. There's no reason to even argue with them. If they don't agree with you, say, okay, that's your opinion, but just let it go. Because if you did your job, they always come back and they always say, okay, I get it now. But to watch these guys argue with, like I tell any young trainer, there's no reason for you to argue with one of them. It just doesn't even make any sense. 
you know, you're just building a, a bad relationship in general. If you're know, arguing that, that means you shortchange them somewhere and you're trying to lie to them along the way. Yeah. If you're doing your job and you're trying your hardest, there's no reason for you to raise your voice or argue with one. Yeah. And if they would want to argue or raise their voice with you, then they need to leave. You know, one rotten apple spoiled a bunch. They got to go, you know, and just well, and in that aspect, it. if you don't, you don't get along and it's gotten to that point, then you customer trainer, like you're just not, it's not a compatible program. So you both need to part ways so that at the horse shows, you can be happy and see each other and enjoy. And, and as a trainer and these people need to realize this, we make mistakes a lot. You know, when you're trying, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And as a trainer, you better own up to your mistakes. Once you tell these customers, yeah, I really screwed that up. Oh, shit. If I were you, I think I might take my horse home. That was really bad what I did right there. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, if you own up to what you've done wrong, because we're not right all the time. And these people with that attitude that they're always right or they're good enough, they don't need to learn to get better. They're always going to fail in relationships and with their horses. It's just the way it is. You know, again, on a tangent. (laughs) When Wade left the paint world, I was still a non-pro and I, that was right before I gave my cart up. So it was November and then we were getting married the next year. He flew home because his mom was sick and I stayed down there with all the customers and Randy Wilson was good. And he came and rode a two-year-old gray that we had in the pleasure. Well, you wrote a couple of them, but he wrote, this is the one that sticks out with me. But he did, he He did us a huge favor because I left at the last minute. They called me up. So my mom was sick and I asked Randy. Will you help us? I need someone to ride a two to three in a June. And he jumped. He didn't even ask a question. He said, sure, I'll do it. And I, you know, I, I tried my butt off. I was trying to get all these horses ready and, and Randy was good. And he showed and he helped me and he gave me a piece of advice. We were talking about, he was nice. And he had said, we were talking about Colts and what do we have the next year? And he said, you know, cause I, I had mentioned like, oh, we have one really great pleasure horse. I'm very excited about it. Yada, yada, yada. He goes, well, don't ride it any different than any of your other ones. Cause you never know which one is going to jump up and be the best one. Not one is better than the other when you start them. Start them all on the same playing field and you just go from there. When you put one on a pedestal, horse, anything, you make dumb mistakes. He goes, just ride them. They'll let you know when they're ready. And I that's always stuck with me on the yeah, we piece used of to- information. You don't just think one thing is great. You just ride them all. Some surprised you. <laughs> yeah, because at that time, we didn't have a bunch of great ones. We'd have one or two that were really super nice. We're like, oh, we kind of handle them with kid gloves. And it seemed like they never worked. Yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of <laughs> like, wow, that wasn't very smart. I mean, then after we start doing it that way, just treating it like a normal horse, turning it out, doing this, doing that, it's really started benefiting us yeah. a lot. And see, that's just something you learn just from talking to people and being smart and listening to them. Yeah. Sorry, I got off on a rant. <laughs> on no, a we rant. love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, going into kind of your barn culture, I know you guys are known for having a great barn culture. You guys always look like you're having the best time at shows. Touched on it a little bit, but what do you mainly attribute this to? And Well, here's yeah. what I tell Laura when she kind of came into this business. We are not horse trainers in their eyes. We are entertainment. That's our business, entertaining. <laughs> Think about it because you only show so five great, minutes, right? <laughs> So you got to entertain them the rest of the time, let them have fun, joke around. They don't care if we're in a bad mood. They're paying a lot of money to be there. They can be sitting on a boat instead of doing what we're doing. So you have to be, make it fun for them and you have to be in a good mood. And it starts at the top down. If Laura and I don't come to the barn happy, smiling, keeping everybody happy, you know how that starts to trickle. You've seen those barns where everybody's miserable in their barns. I do not want to live my life that way. So we our customers. We've kind of, We've had customers probably for 20 to 22 years that are still with us all the time. And, and yeah, like there's, J- there's a lot of the customers have been there 
longer than I have I've yeah. been with Wade since he started. So, so they, they kind of grew up with it's doing the same deal because they're having fun doing it. And then they'll throw money in. If we miss on a horse, they're okay. And they, but they know we're trying hard to do it. So the culture of the barn, if we're trying hard and being happy and, and we really do show that we love what we're doing, we, we don't hide our, our excitement when we have a, a really good two-year-old or a yearling that we're happy about, or one of them does really well. I mean, we make, we show our excitement. We're not too good for that. We still get super excited about great horses. It kind of resonates throughout everybody around you. Well, and honestly too, I feel like like personalities do find each other in general, like how Wade and I met or like your customers, everybody kind of knows I'm a hair vulgar. Like I don't mean to be sometimes it just comes out, you know, I mean, I just feel like, like minds always kind of and kind our, of flock back together. Does that make sense? Yeah. They have really good customers that are funny, just as way funnier than us. And they yes. come joking around and they kind of keep the barn culture going too. And if we see somebody that is kind of a troublemaker in our eyes, we just kind of ask them to leave or do something else with them. Cause we really don't want them stepping in there and, and bothering everybody else. You know, one horse ain't worth it. Well, and we always preach to everybody too, in general, someone might have a good horse this year you might have the good horse tomorrow. Like it might not be your show today. It might be your show next year, you know, every, so that everybody roots for everybody. I want everybody in general. It's a whole team. If one person does good, we all look better. If we all do good, we look amazing, but you know, it, you want the whole group to be working to the same goal or happy for everybody involved. So really all the, everybody is that way. They're all excited when someone has a good horse, when someone's horse does well, or when someone just is riding good and they figured out stuff, everybody is kind of just on the same page that way. But we, you know, we're just lucky. We've preached that and everybody does that. We've got good people around us. Sometimes I just think in life you get lucky. <laughs> yeah. We're very, very, very fortunate that we've hit these kind of customers. If we do make a mistake, they don't hold it against us. We tell them right up front that we did something wrong or whatever it was. And they, they let us off the hook. They never get mad. They let us off the hook and we just try harder next time. There's a lot of value in just being honest with people. Oh. And no matter what you do, it yeah. doesn't, it's in life, in life, you know, yeah. love, business, all of it. It's yeah. just it. You find out it's a little rough at first, but once you get it out there, it's over. You know, people get over it way quicker, but you've got to be working. You just can't be making excuses all the time. You got to be working where they can see you doing it. And then they believe way more. Agreed. Yeah. So how do you handle when there's either a disagreement and within the barn, maybe it's not even between you guys and a customer, but between customers, or if there's just a bad apple, you know, for lack of a better word, how do you guys handle that? If there's a bad apple, I just walk up to him and, and ask him to go, which we haven't had to do that in years. I don't think I can't even remember. I don't think there's don't ever think been a there's... fight between customers that I can remember. Oh, knock on wood. Because we usually try. <laughs> <laughs> don't think yeah, so. But we, we can usually see it coming. And we kind of buffer it before it happens, you know, like Laura's the talent. I'm oh, the one that kind of walks stuff. around and make sure all that other stuff goes you're, easy. You're ridiculous. She's the talent. You're the good looks. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, if something bad, if I have to call somebody for something bad, it's never Laura. It's me. So I'm like the grim reaper of the barn and Laura's <laughs> the one, the well, talent. Yeah, I will say like if a horse is ever sick, because I call people, I like call to joke around and like I just call to shoot the shit and talk about things. So whenever Wade does call some people, they're like, oh, my God, is my horse OK? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it either sold or is it sick? Because <laughs> he just he doesn't call as much as I do just to shoot the <laughs> shit. <laughs> that, that's always funny. So what words of advice do you have for amateurs or owners to be successful in a barn dynamic? And then maybe the same question for younger upcoming trainers. Well, with customers, they have to put their trust into the trainer if they 
they really trust that person's out for their, their well-being, then stick with it. Don't rush it. You know, be patient. Don't get mad. You know, it's easy to get frustrated real quick when your horse is not ready or it didn't show real good. But if you really trust that trainer, believe me, they are trying to win. That is them going out there being competitive because we don't make a lot of money training and showing horses. We do it because we love it. And we, for the trophy, we're trying to win. And that's our peers out there. So we don't want to be embarrassed. We're not trying to go out there and just take your money to go ride some random horse. Once they figure that out, then they understand that, yeah, these guys are really trying hard to do it. And as a young trainer, don't turn your back on good customers just to have one good horse. Work and get your own horse. Don't wait for people to bring you horses. Go find your horses and do it that way. Because if you'll be sitting for years waiting for good horses to be sent to you, go find them. Go train them up or buy them, help your customers buy them. Don't wait for people to bring them to you. I think with the customer trainer relationship, spelling out, like just having that talk right away and what your goal is, what's your goal for the year? Where do we want to end up? You know, what's our plan? Is it for you to learn to ride really well? Is it for this horse to go to this show? This is your end goal. And then, you know, you can divert from that path a little bit along the way, but at least you both understand where the process is going or where you're and trying to go. Now, sometimes things happen and it, it horse doesn't make it. It just sometimes doesn't work out the way you plan, but at least you both were on the same page to begin with, you know, and keep them informed through the process of training it. Like, Oh, it, it looks like it's making it or no, ooh, it's looking a little tough. You know, just don't keep it to yourself. Hoping it turns the corner, kind of keep them informed. It makes it a lot less of a hit to the face when you tell them at the end, you know, if you're, if you keep them informed the whole way through. And as a young trainer, if you can't fulfill that goal, like my best customer before Laura and Laura ended up meeting her. It was like my second mom. She said, wait, I'll go out and buy you the best one out there. I said, Beth, I am not good enough to take the best one and not ruin it yet. I still have a lot to learn. Let's stay at these littler shows and I'll try to work my way up to that point, but I don't want to waste your money. When I told her that, boy, she trusted me through everything. I mean, if you, you just got to know your limitations as a young trainer. Like if someone's coming here and they want an all around horse, we cannot train it to do that, nor do we want to, but I will give them some phone numbers and that's for sure. They can go find some other people. Cause we've had a lot of our horses go win the all around. It just wasn't with us. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't teach them. <laughs> no, somebody else. We tried to take credit for it, but somebody else taught them. <laughs> I think that's gotta be a little unique to you that you would tell a customer that you're not ready for that kind of horse yet. Cause I think most, especially young trainers or young horse people in general, like we would all want to jump at the chance at having, you should you know, want be able to throw a leg over the nicest horse flesh you can. So yeah, you might want to do that. But how many times have you seen people do that? And then they run that customer off because they bought this horse for all this money. And then they went out there for expectations and you can't fulfill them. So then they leave and that horse is up somewhere else. So you got to be smart doing that. Yeah. Expectations are a bitch. Oh, <laughs> they're a pain. Yeah. But that's why we sell so many horses. You're living on a wish and a dream, right? The expectation of it being great. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got the world champion two-year-old in January. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just don't know where they're going to go. As it goes <laughs> yeah. on. Like I always joke around, how many times has one disappointed you or broke your heart? But you know, and that, that's what makes it so sweet in the long run when you do get one that meets your expectations or gets you to your dream, you know, that's we, what makes it so bittersweet. And we've, we've worked our way to get up there and had some limited success, but we don't take it for granted ever. We we're just super excited that it happened because we were that we were down there <laughs> looking up at those people all the time. 
Yeah. Liz, did you have any questions on the barn culture side of things? And No, I hope more people take note to this podcast just because I feel like we need more honest and open trainers with their clients and their the expectation that us clients have with our horses. Sometimes I think we need to be brought back down to a good base level. And it sounds like you guys have a great program. I actually respect that you can leave your ego and be honest with all your clients. So kudos to you guys for that, because we need more of that in this day and age, I feel like. When you quit learning or you quit wanting to get better, then in general, time passes you by. There's so much, there's so much I want to know today. And I, I need to get off my butt and go like ride with some other people and learn some more. You have to have that desire in the morning to get up every day, come out here and make X, Y, and Z, whether it's your barn, your horse, your friendships, your whatever, better. You have to have that desire to get out of bed every day and go do it. And as a, as a customer or a non-pro, sometimes you tell them and they don't listen. It doesn't sink in because their horse is the best thing in their mind. Sometimes the customer or these non-pros, they have to really sit back and think, what did they just tell me? Oh, okay. So this is what, what it kind of means. So some of them leave, they're mad, but they just didn't listen to what happened. Well, you and, know? It, and it probably goes both ways. I'm sure there's times oh, trainers I'm are- hard-headed and I don't, I don't hear everything that I should, you know, or vice versa. And the- you just kind of have that if you're not getting the result you want, or they're not understanding what your goal is, then, you know, you both have to get back on the same page and figure it out, have that tough conversation. Cause it, it does go both ways. It's not, it's us trainers and custom, like all of it in general, it's business. You know, you've got to go with the best plan. It's business. It's life and business. Now we're mixing our fun with our business. Yeah. It's gotta be, so you you gotta, gotta be careful. You have to be really, yeah. yeah, you gotta be really careful how you mix the two, you know? I feel like that's kind of the hardest part with a lot of, you know, people, if you're going to horse shows with them nonstop, horse trainers, your barn family, you know, whatever it is, it's like you can get to be friends and family in some ways. But then at the end of the day, too, it's a business and it's a, it, boundaries. It's a business. And we got to remember to us as trainers, the people we're working for, they're pretty wealthy people. We can't live that lifestyle. You know, you, you're around it all the time. So pretty soon you start thinking you can live that lifestyle. That turns out to be bad for business. You know, you can't afford all the stuff they can do. We got to keep it in perspective of what we have, what we're going to do, what we're going to allocate our money towards. You can't get into that rhythm either. I see a lot of trainers do that. That's what I tell a young trainer. You don't need a brand new trucks and trailers. You don't need the fanciest barn to work out of. You need to get your costs covered, figure the best way to keep your costs down. Be smart on what you're paying out your money for, who you're hiring, what you're hiring, what horses you're getting. Because just because you went and got the best horse and gave up on a commission or you're not making money on it or it gets pulled from you then, all this is stuff you got to pay attention to. You have to keep your costs down. I agree. Because you see a lot of these trainers, are go- I've seen a lot of them go broke. A lot. People that are way more talented than us, way more talented than us. They're just bad business people. You know, Laura and I both went to school for business. When I graduated, she graduated, but my degree was in business and marketing. So I learned how to mess with books. And my mom ran a hundred and something horses at a boarding barn slash trail riding business. And she ran all those horses and she taught me how, you know, the, the handle they were going by getting, they had to buy the cheapest price they could for feeding them this and that. So it was like a true, true business for them. And I learned that way. Yeah. The business side of things for horse trainers is, you know, a very like 
broad topic that probably would be warrant a whole conversation on oh, just, sure. just oh, the but, ins and out and the business side of it. Let me tell you something. It's getting way more expensive. And Laura and I have been very fortunate. <laughs> Why isn't? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like we're driving around, we have, we have nice stuff, but we've worked years to get it and all of our stuff's paid off. You know, we didn't just go loan, get loans for all this. We worked our way to, so we can have our business all paid off so we can just keep going that way. You know, younger people see like guys like Starnes and them that have been very successful and they're driving and all this beautiful stuff. Well, they've earned it for years and years and years. You can't jump right into that. You just can't do it. You'll go broke. Because if you have one bad year, you're under. Then what do you do? Then you got to make bad business decisions and run your customers off. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah, that would be an interesting topic to dive into more at some point. But I know we've taken up plenty of your time today on a Sunday. I really appreciate it. So just the last kind of question for you guys is, where do you foresee the horse industry going in the future? Are there any changes in trends, horses, events, shows, you know, that you kind of imagined or noticed this is where the industry is shifting to? Well, from when we first started, your weekend paint shows were huge. Your weekend quarter horse shows were pretty big, but now it seems like the madnesses and all those type of shows are week and a half, two weeks long. Everybody's going to those and staying. The weekend horse show for the littler guy is just coming to the wayside. We were just at a paint show and it was usually big, but boy, it really went down. Like it's, we have to do something to get the numbers up for the littler show so these guys can get introduced back into it. Even a quarter is going to have to do that. And then the two-year-old thing, I know a lot of these pleasure horses are going to do the trail and that's becoming huge. Like that's where a lot of these horses are going doing the all around doing the trail, especially we need to make sure in the paint side of it, that there's a some place to go for these horses that we're using and other people to buy and show with. Yeah. Going on the looks of horses. I love the way the pleasure horses are starting to look and the hunt scene horses and everything. The movement in general, I think we're all on the up and up that way. I think that, yeah, the hunt seat horses are kind of getting back to the bigger trotters again, which I do like. And I like the progression that way. And the judging is they're picking like the rail horses for the rail classes now. And and the trail horses are getting so pretty over the logs. And I think all that is in a good direction, like a good flow. I think if you're a young trainer and you're starting twos and threes, you have a job ahead of you because... People are looking for horses all the time now. So if you're good at starting twos, you can always make a living in this business. If you're good at bringing one up from starting it to almost finished, you'll always have a job in this deal. Because, I mean, we're looking around. There's hardly anybody that just does that, especially in the paints right now. In the quarters, there's a few guys left. But the breeding's getting so expensive, this and that. So these horses are getting way harder to come by. Thusly, the prices of them are shooting through the roof. So if you can get them started and going... You can make a really good living doing that. If I was younger, that's what we would be doing. Do you guys start your own two-year-olds or do you send them out for the first 30 days to like a colt breaker? No, we start them all. I do all the groundwork and then I put my crash dummy on top of them. That's Laura. (laughs) 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 Then we we, we shush Laura around for a while. and, And if one's really rank or really tough, we'll ride it for a couple of weeks. And then we have a guy we really trust and he'll take it from there if it's really rough but he maybe gets one or two from us a year we probably start what 17 yeah or 22s it's that's a good number of them well we just break it down we don't do them all at once but yeah it's like 
to me, the first 30 rides are so important on those things. If you're going to scare them or not scare them or keep them quiet or this and that, that you just, we don't have anybody up here like that, that we can trust to start them for us. If we could find somebody, believe me, they'd have them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot yeah. of hard work. After I got bucked off one this year, um, yeah, I could pay someone to start. And I'm telling you, I'd be all right. And I'm you don't want to be the crash dummy anymore. I don't bounce as well as I did 10 years ago. And I am I telling was. you right now. Laura got lawn darted on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that thing broke in too. And she wrote it for a while. And that's when I was thinking, we should have somebody else start these as she's going across that pen. Oh, that one hurt. <laughs> is it a hunt seater or a Western horse? Like how big was this thing? It was a hunt seater. Yeah. Oh, of course it was. And great muscle too. And it was, and it lied to her because it was really quiet for like two and a half weeks. She's loping around. She'd start putting it on a drape. Oh, it was And then bad. <laughs> it, it opened its mouth and was screaming in place, trying to buck her off. It was, it, I mean, it got ranked. <laughs> and I, Your I, own I, rodeo. Oh my God. It was, it was pretty bad. I told Wade, I was like, I'm going to take a couple of days off and I'm going to lay in bed and watch Netflix for a while. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting old. <laughs> That's hurt. <laughs> a mental health and a physical health day or two. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I, yeah. I milked it a little longer than I probably should have, but yeah. <laughs> uh, God bless you guys. <laughs> you guys have any other closing thoughts for us as we wrap up today's conversation? No, we just love you guys. It was fun. <laughs> Can you guys do another podcast with us on stuff that's not so serious? <laughs> well, we could oh, talk sorry. about, but I think you'd be a great interview on business stuff, but you'd have to somehow make business stuff fun, which I think you could do. So well, we could figure a way. Don't worry. Yeah. Figure no, it's been awesome. <laughs> yes. We appreciate the conversation and always appreciate you guys' attitudes and smiles and the practice pins, show pins when I get to run into you. And I'm sure Liz will be seeing you at more and more Coral Horse shows too. I hope Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, wait, before we go, it's like, do you want to provide any contact information? Sorry about forgot. But if you want to give website, Facebook, you know, whatever, if people want to talk to you about training or horses or whatever, sorry, I should have asked you that. Well, you can find me on Facebook or spell show horses on Facebook or, you know, you can find Wade's number on any bathroom wall. So yeah. that's easy. to <laughs> In the skeeziest of places, right? Only the best. The only reason we know that's because I put it there. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yes, call us for some fun and vulgar conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I love not, it. And we're not kid friendly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've been pre-warned. That's a, yeah, that's that's a perfectly valid point to make. But <laughs> all righty, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you, guys. Have a good Sunday. Thank you. Thanks. All right. That'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.